to seek answers to the questions that have crossed all of our minds. What happens to us when we die? Is there an afterlife? I'm a regular guy who discovered the gift of psychic mediumship in my 30s. My passion for history and the unknown have put me right here, right now. My mantra for anything paranormal is, we don't know much and anything is possible. Join me as we find our way through the stories, evidence, and experiences of the paranormal and beyond in search of answers, even if that leads to more questions. Are you with me? Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Pete Orbea, and I think we're on episode 19. Holy smokes. Towards the end of April here. Can you believe it? Uh, time's just flying by when we're having fun. I hope uh, uh, people jumped in on uh, my Paranormal Pete Show Facebook page last week and hung out in the Walker Ames house with me. Uh, we experienced some technical difficulties last week um, with the show, so I decided to go down to the Walker Ames house and um, had a good time. Um, you know, every time I go in there by myself, I'm telling myself, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then usually I do get a little spooked out. But uh, last week it was living people outside the house that got me spooked out. So, <laughs> but I think I spooked them out even more. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, and if you're listening on air, we're on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening each week. And if you have questions throughout the show or you just want to make a comment, just go to the chat function on the website there, WLTKDB.com, and put a question on there. I'm always happy to try and answer a question. May not always have an answer, but I always do my best. And also, we're streaming live on the Let's Talk Radio Facebook page. So just type in your search bar on Facebook, Let's Talk Radio, and we stream it there every week. So uh, and there's lots of other shows on the station. So definitely go to the station page, check it out, check out some of the other shows. Um, you can also catch all the past shows because, uh, in today's world, it's kind of hard to catch things live. So we like to, we, we all like on demand, right? So, uh, anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, you can find all my past shows and all the other shows on let's talk radio. There's great stuff on all the time. And uh, I'm watching the Facebook comments on Let's Talk Radio Facebook page. So if you have a question there or want to say hi, um, go right ahead and we'll try and get to your comments. And uh, looking forward to a great show tonight. Uh, I've got a special guest on tonight and we're going to talk a little bit more than ghosts. We're going to talk about some other things, too, because it isn't just ghosts that are paranormal. So there's other things out there, right? And uh, I'm trying to get through. I've got <laughs> it's allergy season in Washington. If you're in Washington, you probably when you go out to your car in the morning, it's covered in those little yellow, yellowish green colored goblins all over your car, the pollen. <clears throat> so, yay, allergy season. Um, if you're an allergy sufferer, I'm right there with you. But um, <clears throat> got a fun show for you tonight. 
We're going to play some audio at some point, so don't don't uh, miss out on that. We're going to cover a lot of different ground and uh, some different topics. So hopefully it can be something uh, thought-provoking for yourself. And if you're listening back on the East Coast and it's late night over there, 11 p.m. over there, thanks for staying up and listening, um, or even overseas. So um, oh, we got Jay here. Hello again. Yeah, thanks for listening last week, too. Um, and it was real interactive last week in the Walker Ames house. So I'm hoping sometime to do some more things like that, where I'll go to a location and, and do a show from there. So, um, I'll let, I'll keep you posted on that, but, um, next month I've got some great guests coming up and booking some more, um, mm-hmm. working on next week. Cause it's, a spe- I, th- I think to me, it's a special edition next week. Uh, it'll be May the 4th. So a big star Wars day. And, uh, if you're like me, you love star Wars. So might do some fun stuff for that. And, uh, Jody says, hello. Hey, Jody. Thanks for listening. Uh, good friend, Jody, friend of the show. Um, yeah. So, and I've got, uh, June Nixon. She was going to be on last week, but I rescheduled her for May 11th and she's a researcher and investigator with a team called a ghost advanced ghost hunters of Seattle and Tacoma. And June's done a lot of investigation. Um, she's been to a lot of really cool places. So I'm excited to kind of pick her brain and, and have her talk about some of her experiences. Uh, the week after that, another one of her compatriots of a ghost, uh, Ross Allison will be on the show and we'll be talking about some of his books and his investigations and experiences. Hey, Tony and Katie, thanks for listening. See you popping up on the Facebook comments there. Uh, thanks for listening. And you guys are great friends of the show. really appreciate it. Um, so tonight, we've got a special guest. And he's an investigator and a researcher. He does a lot of different kinds of things. Um, he's even an author as well. And uh, special guest Toby Johnson tonight. I'd like to welcome you to the show. Go ahead and pop on there, Toby. Hey, Pete. Hey, welcome to the show, Toby. How you doing? Good. Good to have you, man. Right on. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah. Um, if you don't know Toby yet, he is the uh, creator and host of Strange. Now, forgive me. I feel like I always say this wrong. Strange Brow Radio. That's it, man. I think that's the way the Germans say it. (laughs) Right on. Uh, The two little dots, you know, above the AM. I was like, wait, how does that sound? Um, (laughs) But it's a weekly podcast that focuses on testimonials of hidden realities. Um, And Toby, you had me on your show and it was a lot of fun. So I'm glad to have you on mine tonight. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Uh, We were talking about all kinds of ghost stuff. Um, And I hope tonight we'll, we'll expand on on that subject as well uh, but you also work as a part-time drum frame builder and a chainsaw sculptor and right. yeah, yeah what's what's it like building drums i i, I like to play drums <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh you know i'm living my life as an artist here um helping out the sponsor of uh strange brow radio uh one of them here which is uh my girlfriend erin and mm-hmm. uh, she's actually packing a drum right now. Uh, so we have a shop over at Etsy called <laughs> Feral by Aaron, all one word, Aaron, E-R-Y-N, get a plug in. And yeah. um, so she uh, she took to it about two years ago. And uh, so I've been helping her 
get those drums made because everybody seems to want one now that they're home and uh, <laughs> wanting to learn you know, new things to do. And so I do that and I do a little chainsaw carving on the side here. But uh, my, my real passion, of course, is what we're going to talk about tonight. Right on, right on. So you've got an upcoming um, audio book and book coming out, The Owl mm-hmm. Moon Lab, A Shared Paranormal Experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, when's that, when does that come out? Well, so the book will come out when the documentary, there's two documentaries coming out. And one of those documentaries is uh, by myself and the other is by uh, Resonance Production out of Portland called The Flash of Beauty. And it picks up on our story. Um, I'm actually a co-producer along with these guys getting this documentary made. And it tells the story of, um, you know, looking at the interpersonal relationship of the experiencer as they go down these rabbit holes. So, of course, we're going to be talking about Bigfoot a lot tonight, but that's just the foundation of where the weirdness begins. And, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to make a case tonight is that the weirdness never ends. And I'm, you know, relieved that you said in the prologue of your program that there's more questions and there are answers. And if we're brave enough to say, well, we don't know everything, there is more questions, then you can be honest about Bigfoot. Yeah, I think you could probably be honest about a lot of different things, um, you know, and, and that's exactly right. And that's why I put it in in my intro is I, that's how I feel. But, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know Jack, <laughs> you know, really in the big scheme of things. You know, we're not using, you know, not even a quarter of our brain capacity. So, right. you know, we just don't even know. And there's so much out there that we can't even comprehend. And so, you know, it, in theory, everything is possible or anything is possible. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of the mindset I have. And it's um, glad you have the mindset, too. And I think if more and more people could have that mindset going into this field of whether it's you're doing ghost investigation or or you're looking for Bigfoot or in search of aliens, alien life, you know, having that mindset can give you a little bit better understanding of ourselves really. Right. That we have to understand ourselves first. Yeah. You know, it's um, people start looking into this stuff. You know, I don't really know your specific origin story other than the interview we did, but I'm sure that there was inklings or interest uh, even mm-hmm. peripherally with the paranormal or yeah. being immersed in it by like an abductee or living in a haunted house or growing up in a neighborhood where Sasquatch is coming in. But, you know, in my case, it just came down to, um, you know, this, the beginning of the book talks about uh, close encounters of the third kind and a uh, matinee that I had with uh, my father watching the character Roy Neary build these mashed potatoes for some reason into devil's tower and his family looks reluctantly at him like he's crazy. And he exclaims, this means something. Well, it's that term. This means something that really kind of followed me through um, as a hunch. Maybe, you know, it was my inner knowing that uh, there were things that meant something that other people were going to scoff at. And so that was really, you know, my earliest memory of where this all began. And I think we all have those things, you know, within us that have uh, stayed with us through our adulthood from adolescence. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's those small experiences or maybe it was even a big experience for somebody out there Mm -hmm. that 
whether you realize it or not, yeah, it, it really does stick with you. Um, you know, for me, it was, um, you know, I had a experience seeing two apparitions when I was about seven years old. Um, and that was pretty impactful for me. Um, but you know, another, it was a movie for me. It was just, um, you know, ET, <laughs> you know, I always felt that, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's life out there other than us and it, you mm-hmm. know, because of ET and I was pretty young when that came out. Um, and you know, movies like, uh, star Wars and a lot of science fiction type stuff kind of always stuck with me. Just, I just always kind of felt there was more to this world than there than there really is so yeah there's all those small experiences add up over right. time you know they they add up and add up and i think we don't always remember what it is but we do have a drive for something and it sounds like um i mean do you feel like you have you know you mentioned inner knowing mm-hmm. um do you feel that you have some psychic abilities uh, I don't think so. Um, you know, maybe in my dream state, it, you know, I'm an adrenaline junkie too. Let's just be honest. Like if there's an adventure and a good mystery, um, mm-hmm. I've been known to do some crazy stuff to access that. And there's nothing really crazier short of people that, um, you know, go down into volcanoes uh, <laughs> and going into the dark without a flashlight by yeah. yourself wandering miles. And um, when I found out that that was actually a sport <laughs> that I could get into, um, <laughs> man, I chased after it, um, especially during these liminal periods in our life. Um, yeah. You know, maybe there's not enough weight put into, uh, you know, the guy or the gal that is in between a relationship or in between a job or in between these states where they find these little crooks in the road. Like, well, I could do this or I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I, I lived life for the moment as an only kid. I really didn't have anybody other than myself to kind of, you know, put things off on. My mother was at work. And uh, so I kind of made a lot of, you know, rash decisions, joined the service at an early age, which was totally uncharacteristic to disappear for five or six <laughs> years. And then uh, came back and lived in Eugene, Oregon for a while and, uh, was a production major there and didn't graduate, uh, started to work at UPS, worked at doctor's offices. I floated around like every four years uh, trying to find, you know, what, what, what sticks here? Well, the yeah. one thing that sticked uh, that continues to stick <laughs> is this, uh, you know, rabbit hole of Sasquatch. And the way that started was after, um, you know, my son and I went on a hike Actually, it was early morning in the little town of Thurston, Oregon. He found a footprint and the footprint was convincing enough and weird enough, given the fact that it was headed into the briar patch and looked like, uh, you know, a barefooted human track in February in the ice. So we, we took a photo and we showed it to a guy named Ron Olson, who was an executive producer uh, and director of this movie uh, that was called Sasquatch, loosely based on Bob Gimlin. And okay. so, you know, he was a nice guy, but out of the Bigfoot world. And um, he looked at the photographs and said, listen, you know, they're real. I don't know about your picture, but if you want to talk to a guy who's seen them, uh, I'll set you up. And from that meeting on, this was about 2008, 2007, after okay. meeting face to face over a cup of coffee in Eugene, 
with this guy, uh, River Guide. He, I found out he was a multiple witness, something I would end up calling an extended experiencer. And he would have these prolonged, literally backyard Bigfoot encounters around on his property in a general hot spot. And even in the ghost world, um, you know, there are these hot spots like go up to the Walker Ames area in this area. This is where they're known to be. This is whatever right. this residual energy is or well, like my you know friend era calls it a perfume that kind of stays in an area you know this paranormal perfume which i think adheres to the witness maybe at the cellular level too um mm-hmm. these these hot spots maybe we become them when we visit them often enough and maybe that's why this river guide was having this prolonged experience but if we're talking about merely the two camps right the gigantopithecus uh, relic hominid you know, theory. Uh, And then we have my theory, right? That something else is happening here. It doesn't really explain the, the multiple witness and Sasquatch following you home kind of deal, but this is what I was hearing. And it started building and building and building. And the curiosity became, you know, connected to the paranormal away from science into the world of the paranormal based upon not only the amount of people that were telling me this, including a guy named Lee Trippett, who was a physicist from the University of Oregon. Um, you know, he uh, he said he still says this as a guy in his 80s that, uh, you know, there's a quantum physics connection to this whole thing. Of course, you know, what Ron Moorhead has to say about it, wrote a book called Quantum Bigfoot. It goes on and on and on. Well, how could these, you know, regular people that are invested and their reputation and science come to the conclusion that Bigfoot's weird at all. And so that's where our adventure begins is my <laughs> investment and time into that. Wow. What a way to, what a way to start there. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. And, you know, was it, uh, what was it about that, that footprint? Cause you know, that you and your son saw on that hike, because mm. if you would have never taken a picture of that, mm and sent it on mm-hmm. i mean you could have gone you could yeah. have gone in a totally different direction so i mean was it just what stood out about it that you were like whoa okay we need to take a picture of this right um the thing that stood out about it was i was looking to connect with my son uh on something that we both had a common interest in and we okay. were going to civil war reenactments at that time and uh, this was something that you know i knew that he was going to be an outdoorsman of some kind like his dad. And so that just seemed like a pretty cool thing to put in our pack and say, well, we could carry some plaster and a tape measure and just call it a day and we find something weird. So that was really the only connection. I knew that that was a spot where kids, you know, would go smoke weed and, you know, uh, leave the high school to go do crazy stuff. But it could have been a hoax as far as I know to this day, it could be, but it started my wheels turning. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, I got you to, to, you know, meet that first person and then the next mm-hmm. person and then the next person. Right. And kind of that that ripple effect there. Yeah, right. we had <clears throat> Jay comment on Facebook said he feels the paranormal is things we cannot explain. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so big Bigfoot, I consider to be in that, you know, in that in that grouping of, of the paranormal. So, I mean, were you always you know, an outdoorsman where you always want to be outdoors out in the woods? Well, I grew up on the shadow of the Cascade Mountains in the little town of Springfield, Oregon. 
And uh, it was just something you kind of grew up with that this is our town mascot, you know, the lumberjack, the Bigfoot. And, um, you know, it wasn't really ghosts and UFOs uh, that I had really heard about unless I watched a show on. But it was, you know, the Sasquatch stuff that was always on the periphery. And, um, you know, once you get invested in this and you find out that they're real, you become an outdoors person. And it's just the school of hard knocks. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, I've got uh, family in in Springfield, and um, I mean it's been a long time since I've visited there, but it's really pretty area. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I can understand. I mean, we've got up here um, in Port Gamble, we're surrounded by woods and water, <laughs> basically. So you kind of you know be deep by default, you kind of become an outdoors person. Um, so, Hey, when we come back, we're going to take a quick station break and pay the bills here. When we come back, let's, let's keep going on, on uh, a little bit of our, you know, your background and stuff and how you got to where you are. And then, um, we're going to start getting into some discussion about Bigfoot. So, uh, join us after the break. Uh, we're with special guest, Toby Johnson. It's episode 19 of the paranormal Pete show. I'm your host, Pete Orbea. And we'll see you in a few on WLTKDB.com. We are controlling transmission. WLTKDB. Let's talk. Ever wanted to host your own radio show? If your answer is yes, then the time to act is now. WLTKDB Let's Talk is now accepting new programming more affordable than ever. You create the show idea and we'll take care of the rest. Not only do we create your program intro and provide broadcast training, but also syndicate you to popular outlets like Apple and Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. You get all of this starting at 100 bucks per month. Three packages to choose from and built to make your wallet happy. Contact us at WLTKDB.com with your show idea and let's bring your dream to life. All topics accepted and you have full rights to your program. Contact us today and reserve your spot on WLTKDB Let's Talk. What are you waiting for? Let's do this. Well, they say that you're Welcome back to the Paranormal Pete Show. It's 21 past the hour. If you're listening on the East Coast, it's getting pretty late. Stay up. Thanks for listening out there and everybody commenting as well. And we've got uh, lots of people commenting. Um, wow. So oh, we've got somebody talking about maybe an experience in Florida. Um, before the break, we're with special guest Toby johnson strange brow radio um check out his website strangebrowradio.com and it's on um excuse me it's on my last facebook post on the paranormal pete show page but thanks for joining us on let's talk radio and we were just kind of talking about background how toby got to where where he is and being an out outdoorsman um so let me ask you this um you know if if you know, you say you don't have any psychic abilities. Um, do you, what do you think about the thought that everybody has something in some way? Yeah. 
I mean, that's, that's, I believe that's true. And, um, you know, how we access it and in the dream state, I think I'm probably more approachable. Um, and I don't know how to immerse myself and to access sure. what happens in the dream state. So going to these power spots, I think, however, um, if that's what we're going to call them, these places where the veil's thin, where there's more action, the hot spots, I mm-hmm. think that they uh, have this latent potential for you to have these gifts, as it right. were. And um, so that's, you know, we're actually going to be talking about that this weekend on our show during a, during a live conference about how to access these power spots and the potential and the hazards of going to them. Because one of the things that happens along the way here when you start investigating this stuff is that um, you find out it's real and then you either do something with it and you expand on it and that does good things for you or it doesn't do good things for you. You know, this can actually <laughs> sure. be very troubling for a lot of people once they find out that this is all real, that what Pete's talking about is real, that going down these rabbit hole of looking into cryptids is very real. And uh, it can, you know, do certain things to your personal life uh, because you find out they're real. Nobody in your family potentially knows they're real. And so what do you think that that does? Well, from personal experience, it changes the dynamic in the house. So you have to be able to say, you know, there's some real consequences to looking at this stuff. So having an innate gift, uh, being psychic or a seer or a strong sender, uh, you know, it's kind of a burden. Uh, It's a responsibility. Sure. Oh, yeah, I totally, totally agree. It's, you know, it's a gift and I'm not going to say it's a curse, but it, mm-hmm. it, it can get heavy sometimes mm-hmm. um, and, and can wear you down. And that's where you have to learn, you know, different techniques and practice different things. So, well, someday I feel like you're going to have you'll have your psychic experience <laughs> <laughs> and you'll know it. You'll know it when it happens. Um, so just keep your eyes out for it. Okay. So. So let me let me ask you this then. Um, as far as ghost spirits, entities, whatever you'd like to call them, do you consider yourself a skeptic, an open skeptic, or a believer? An experiencer. Uh, once you find out that uh, you can have access uh, to the spirit realm, and it is seemingly very neutral in its behavior. Um, in my case, I wanted to find out more about how to break through the dogma of things that I've learned in the past to address, you know, breaking free of this matrix, for lack of a better word. And <laughs> since I was so willingly ready to take the red pill, um, the, uh, the experience is just layered up. So in answering your question, not a skeptic, um, okay. I'm a skeptic when it comes to people saying that they know specifics about certain things that have to do with the spirit world, because I think there is this, uh, this, you know, idea that the, the mysteries keeping mysteries. And that's something that I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with, but since they're such neutral gray area in behavior, I think that uh, giving you answers is the same way. Um, So I'm very reluctant of psychics in general um, because of the fact that they, you know, the human ego is a really 
prevalent thing that comes <laughs> yes. out when we when we find out that we have these experiences and that we can uh, move towards them um yeah it, it's very you have to be very humbled uh to have these experiences and actually have them mean something to somebody else because if i had all these crazy experiences and all of a sudden i came up with the answer of like well this is what it's about and you have to come to me and let's figure <laughs> this out through me it's just like okay this is how david koresh started this is how it, you know jim jones started so right. I'm, I'm reluctant about that not reluctant with you but i think we should all be hesitant to people that say you know i am the way and uh you know this is the right. truth yeah that i agree i totally agree with that i i find myself uh reluctant i mean that's a great way to put it i'm not necessarily skeptical but reluctant when <sighs> when someone is so sure on specifics and this is how this is and his, this right. is how this is, because I feel like, you know, we, we all perceive the, you know, quote unquote, spiritual realm, whatever mm -hmm. we all perceive it a little differently. We're all different. We're, we all have different backgrounds. We may have, we may have grown up similarly, but we've all got different backgrounds and, <clears throat> you know, it's just how, we all perceive it differently. So how can one person know? Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of gets me in, in this field is uh, when it's so specific and like, mm -hmm. this is the way it is. And it very well, maybe I just am reluctant to jump in on that because for me, it's like, I just barely scratching the surface. I feel like, and there's so right. much that I don't know. And so I always kind of have the approach of, well, I think maybe this or this may work like this or that, but I'm not really sure. But we've got a comment here, a couple of them. Uh, I'll read off here from Jay's listening. He's from the Northwest Paranormal Research Group. And he, <laughs> he says, I cannot hold back. Sorry, could Bigfoot be a mixture of aliens making stronger slaves by mixing different animals like apes and human DNA and abandon the project, the Egyptian pharaohs, half people and animals. What do you think about that? You go for it, Jay. I'm going to let you uh, handle that theory. I have no <laughs> idea. And I mean, that's great. I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm relieved. Uh, I don't know. that. <laughs> it seemed like a, a lot to explain, but. I, I haven't moved close enough to the phenomena to figure that out, but could be right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, how do we, how do we know until you have that experience? So, I mean, that's an interesting thought, Jay. Um, and that's, you know, that's thinking with an open mind and, mm -hmm. and that's a good thing, um, you know, to have an open mind like that. So uh, thanks, but see, thanks for that. What's interesting about what Jay said is that it's so, bonkers to most people outside of you know our sphere of influence the people we hang with the people you go to right. walker aims with that's a very bonkers conversation um the thing is that this is a this bonkers uh, approach to talking about this stuff here is now being normalized with the disclosure that we're having about ufos and uaps we, we've come to uh, a point in 2021 where we're normalizing uh, you know, alien life and yeah. uh, near misses and, and right outside here in Bremerton, the USS Nimitz uh, had a huge sighting back in 2004. So, I mean, we're talking about things that are bonkers now, 
uh, when it comes to UFOs. I don't know how long it's going to take to address the Sasquatch conundrum in the same way. I, I just don't know, but uh, right. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to be uh, as honest about this as possible. And if I found out something like he's saying, I would, I would totally address it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, ha- and you have to, if you're in it, you know, trying to do the research and stuff. Uh, and then another comment from um, Jody Emmons. Hey, Jody. Um, I think this goes into how, how you perceive and talking about the specifics of things. She says the observer affects the reality. So each reality is different. And that's something that's often forgotten in ghost investigation, paranormal investigations, our effect on the environment and our own reality. And it's something you always have to try and remember. So great point, Jody. Um, and uh, we've got Jeannie commenting. Thanks for listening. Uh, she says, my father passed and went through my garden and got a call next day. I'm in Florida. He was in England and it was, or we were in England and it was him. Well, that's interesting. That's a weird experience. Uh, neat one though. But uh, okay. So, you know, what about, okay. So I asked if you were a skeptic, open skeptic or believer, let's say alien life. What do you think you are? Well, I haven't had a direct experience uh, that I know of yet, but the types of things that we're going to talk about here address the behavior, uh, which is very similar to what people explain as having an experience, especially when it comes to things like the dream state or sleep paralysis, um, things involved with abductions and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, calling them visitors or experiencers, abductees is all minutia. They're having an experience period. And so those kind of experiences can't be quantified as, you know, real unless there's, um, you know, somebody else experiencing that with them. And that's very hard to do. Now, that's the same way a lot of times when it comes to ghost activity, one person will see it or hear it. The other person won't. Same with the Bigfoot stuff. So it can be delivered in the same way for individuals, uh, the same way that, you know, you look back through scripture and these prophets were having these individual experiences. And so, you know, that's a very interesting thing to to think of, um, you know, that we have all these wayward prophets out here right now that are being ignored by mainstream society, Travis Walton, you, me, all these other people. But, um, you know, in the end, it's uh, it's taking a step back and saying, okay, well, you know, maybe it won't happen ever again. Maybe I'll never have another experience again. But right, a lot of times these extended experiencers will just seek out experiences uh, they get so addicted to having them that they want to layer cake them up. <laughs> That's a great visual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good visual. Just yeah. stacking them up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you then open skeptic, skeptic or believer in Bigfoot. Well, uh, not a skeptic, but uh, when it comes to what they are, I, I am a skeptic that they are merely only flesh and blood. Okay. Right. I, I like that. Re- that's the great response. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, well, can you expand on that a little bit? Why 
Um, because, you know, some people will, you know, like you said earlier, they're gigantic, gigantopithecus right <laughs> camp yeah, of that's the flesh and blood um the and yeah um somebody had commented on one of my posts the other day and and a lot of native american traditions and legends that they are um kind of you know an ancient mm-hmm. ancient tribe um of flesh and blood so what what is it that i mean did you have an experience or have you seen um you know, Mm -hmm. reviewed some evidence that would lead you the other way. Right. So yeah, after, you know, about 2010 or 11, I, I'd finished doing two conferences and, um, got out of that. So I could basically look at the whole conundrum of Bigfoot from an open mind without having to worry about a conference. I wanted to meet all the players to figure out, who had the strongest argument for flesh and blood and who had the strongest argument for this other camp, this paranormal camp. And uh, it took me about two years or so to, you know, go over to the paranormal side and actually, you know, actively seeking out how to do this. Well, the Mm -hmm. best way to do this, and I'll refer people to Sally Shepard Walford's book. That's her name on the title. The author, Sally, S-A-L-I, Shepard hyphen Walford, wrote the book Valley of the Skookum. And it tells the story of a mother and daughter near the Carbon River up here in Ording, Washington, who had an extended experience or encounter, a first person experience from Sally's point of view. And she talked about incredible stuff, including, you know, lights being associated with Bigfoot, disappearing Mm -hmm. tracks, telepathy, and a Native American neighbor that was basically confirming, yes, this is what we believe them to be. So don't worry about it kind of deal, if I remember that relationship correctly. Mm -hmm. And after I met Sally and her daughter, um, I started to meet more and more extended experiencers that didn't seem like they were crazy at all. Now, an extended experience is a crazy thing to think of, right? Because you're pretty much saying that this person has dibs on Bigfoot activity, only they're going to have it without the luxury of having to prove it to you or prove it to themselves uh, with a camera. Because whatever is going on right now, we don't have permission to put cameras out with them for whatever reason. Now, audio equipment, it seems to be game on. Whatever... That rule is there seems to be a rule in place because I've seen too many times where they know where the camera is, they'll disarm it, they'll put pitch on the camera, they'll take it off of the stump, they'll put it upside down, they won't destroy it, hurt it, nothing like that, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Or you'll get strange stuff in the case of like someone like Les Stroud, a seasoned outdoorsman, right, who's totally in the paranormal camp and uh, has had very strange stuff. happened to his game cams out in Canada. Um, And so you you have these these qualities to them that don't seem indicative of them just being a relic hominid there. They seem to know your intent. And so if your intent is to go out and take a photograph of them, uh, they very rarely make mistakes and they seem to know what you're doing well before you get in there. So the confirmation of Sally's right. book and meeting these ex- extended experiencers helped. And that's, that's interesting. That's not something that, you know, I had really thought of before. I mean, I totally, um, I, I believe, you know, Bigfoot's real. 
Um, I don't know in what form, you know, I don't know what in form yet, but um, Jody commented and said interdimensional. So that's kind of more on the paranormal side of things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but the intent is, is interesting because I've talked on this show a lot about uh, in paranormal investigation, setting your intent. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to, you know, what is your intention of doing this investigation? What is your Mm -hmm. intention of looking Mm -hmm. for a spirit? And so I guess that carries over to, um, you know, researching Bigfoot and trying to, find evidence but maybe in that case setting your intent might be detrimental to what you're trying to do (laughs) yeah i don't know you know a lot of tribes would uh you know you hear about tribes in south america or the amazon or probably even native americans that don't want their photograph taken because they feel as though it steals their soul or something of that effect Mm -hmm. so uh if that carries over to Bigfoot, I'm not quite sure. They don't like the paparazzi and they know very well that the paparazzi is coming in no matter how well you camouflage it. And I have so many good stories, recent stories uh, that prove this. Um, And, you know, this is all coming up in this documentary flash of beauty where we interview some of these people that were seasoned bow hunters, for example, total flesh and blood people that may or may not have had a Bigfoot encounter but have walked away saying, Hey, you know, I saw the lights. Uh, It was in proximity to where the Bigfoot came out of the woods. And now I've got this weird stuff happening to my game cam. I'm never doing this again. I may not even go hunting again. Wow. Um, So those kind of powerful things. I mean, I remember once I had an audio station where I was playing Bigfoot sounds and um, it was at a, uh, the, Eugene Hilton when we were doing a Bigfoot and beer thing out there. And this, uh, this guy was listening to audio sounds and he was a bow hunter. And as he was listening to it, he started to cry. And I said, what happened, man? What's going on? He goes, I've been waiting 20 years to figure out I wasn't crazy that somebody else has heard what I heard. And, um, you know, so it's a powerful thing for a lot of these supposedly good old boys that are seasoned out there. And it's just not something that happens when you see an endangered species. Yeah. And a lot of those, you know, good old boys, depending on the generation, probably they don't really talk about it too mm-hmm. much. Right. You know, it's something they keep, keep to themselves. And um, I mean, that's interesting. You know, I, when I think of bow hunting, bow hunting, bow hunters, it's they're very dedicated to what, what they do mm-hmm. and to have an experience where you're like, hell no, I'm uh, not doing that again. I mean, that's pretty that's a pretty strong experience, whether you saw something or just heard something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've only had my one experience that I've I've talked about on the show. And, and earlier you mentioned, you know, footprint going right into the briar patch and where I had what I think was an experience. um, The depressions in the really tall grass went straight into a big mountain of blackberries and I was just like, how, where'd it go? <laughs> how, right. how are these huge depressions in the grass going straight into these blackberries and nothing, mm-hmm. they're not going around. There's no way to go around. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that would you consider that that may be, um, I mean, it's not proof, but it's, it's maybe a little bit of evidence Get more towards, yeah. more towards the, the paranormal side of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hearing the, the seasoned bow hunter 
talking my ear right now saying, well, that could be a bear, you know, the bears will go anywhere and they'll definitely walk in the brambles. And that could have been a double step, you know, and you didn't check the stride and all those things go into the argument of the camp of like, yeah, they're right. They are right. But then there's this whole other camp of, you know, let's take Earl Kelso, one of the first extended experiencers I dealt with in the little town of Vida, Oregon. And uh, Earl was like in SEAL Team 1 or 2. Like, you know, he was an old Navy dog, a war dog. <laughs> and um, he uh, had disappearing tracks coming down in the snow. And they disappeared in the middle of the field and the fresh snow that morning. And there was no jumping off point. They just disappeared in the middle of the field. Now, that upset him and his daughter who lived with him. Enough so to where they said, hey, if you're a Bigfooter, go up in the, you know, the uh, forest. We own acres and acres up that mountain it's all yours Mm -hmm. just you know take my grandson Mm -hmm. and so that permission slip from earl was really the first uh he was the first guy that really wanted to kind of live vicariously through me and say hey that's a true adventure there you know i can't get up there physically anymore but go for it you know and i'll be damned if uh you know we didn't start having things happen behind earl's house to the point where i started to bring other people in And it was the first time I did that before. It was all solo stuff. Maybe my son occasionally, you know, far off, not in the, in the red zone, but bringing other people in and they could see how gung ho I was to go up the steep, you know, mountain with no trail to get to a hot spot. And it was in this hot spot where I was privy to seeing the lights. And when I say lights, I mean, uh, small to large, um, numerous colors and the, and the occasion there, they were large white bursts of light. Um, and they okay. were probably a hundred feet to 75 feet in diameter. And they stair stepped four different times right in front of me through the tree line. It was also a place where my tent was moved 49 feet and stuck eight foot, uh, what? <laughs> atop a, uh, rhododendron. Um, we went back there and consequently I brought more people. They saw the lights. And uh, then the the issue of Bigfoot cloaking is something that you'll hear about. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in this spot where I had something run up behind me and it came, you know, barreling in broad daylight on an open trail. And I was sure that it was a giant human. I knew that it was a giant guy. Maybe I was trespassing or something like that, but it stopped inches from my backside before I could turn around. And it sounded like an elephant on two legs. I mean, you could just hear it, feel it, the whole thing. And when you turn around and don't see anything like that, um, you have to wonder about what the Native Americans said, what all these paranormal research said, you know. And so yeah. having those kind of abrupt experiences, it changes, you know, your perspective on, well, what, what the hell are we really looking at here? Wow. I mean, you could feel the ground shaking and stuff with, the, you know, when it was running up behind you. Oh, yeah. It was done with purpose to, um, I think it was a a game. It felt like what I had heard before as typical juvenile behavior, almost like they describe, extended experience or would describe this as being like a frat boy initiation of some kind. You know, how much can we screw with this guy? You know, he's going to wet his pants here on day one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Did you wet your pants? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, you know, I didn't, and it probably ticked them off. Uh, but uh, yeah. no, I, I didn't wet my pants on that occasion. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. See, when I had my experience, um, it, 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 there was like the big footfalls, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. And they mm-hmm. seemed to go, they seemed to go by us. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really interesting. Um, now the lights, <clears throat> do people usually describe them as being white in color or sometimes they're other colors? Mm. Yeah. So generally they are white or small blue lights uh, in general, the reports I've taken. White is the most common and they're almost like little sparks. You know, if someone Uh was out there maybe with a a little Zippo lighter, you know, very tiny and fast or like a small flash of light, um, they can come in close. And then these balls of light, which are hard to describe, but it's organic in nature the same way that like the creatures in the deep sea are, this bioluminescence, this almost oh, okay. di- dirty white color, you know, milky white. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And and so when people, um, and obviously, I, you know, I'm not really versed on, on, you know, Bigfoot experiences and all that kind of stuff. It's something I've always been interested in, but so when you see the lights, is it usually associated like then, then more activity happens or is it the lights are kind of the indicator of activity and then it's gone? It's like, um, it's the calm before the storm. Uh, generally red lights mean it's going to be a storm and white and blue lights mean it's going to be a sunny day. And so the orange, (laughs) the orange and red lights are exactly what they look like It's a warning. It's a hazard. It's like, okay. And you'll hear this from UFO reports. I mean, there's whole websites dedicated to the orange orbs and just how aggressive they are. So Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of seeing the, the smaller lights uh, that we've seen, it could be preceded by sighting or uh, a small rock being lobbed at a vehicle uh, or at yourself you know, right. they're very good aim. Um, there's l- some pretty incredible video I've seen from Mount Baker of a group of guys that were all be- being hit with rocks by a guy named uh, Mark Blankenship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if they want to throw something at you, it's basically to let you know, hey, we're here. You're you're moving too close. Um, you know, it's kind of to pick apart the, the wheat from the chaff. Interesting. I've never thought of it that way. So uh, let's comment on Facebook here, um, you know, in regards to the lights, do you think it's, it's in some way electrical? Like, you know, how would you describe the lights or what Mm. do you think they are? You know, it's probably something above my pay grade, but it feels (laughs) as though it feels, man, it feels supernatural and spiritual in nature it doesn't feel electrical. Um, if you could, you know, be like a Buddhist bunk and vibrate into a ball of light, I suppose that's probably what it would, you know, look like, you know, sure. something supernaturally, mm-hmm. you know, like that. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to quantify, but it has this organic living nature quality to it. Like you're witnessing mm-hmm. something way different than ball lightning or swamp gas. The, let's just move those completely out of the realm of possibility for what we're describing here, because sure. uh, the activity that is preceded by these sighting here are mm-hmm. specifically related to having generally a Bigfoot counter or some kind of contact with uh, a UFO or, you know, an, an entity or ET of that nature. So 
-hmm. I don't know that swamp gas or ball lightning are responsible for those things. Right. Yeah. And so I like that, you know, taking a real, you, you mentioned, you know, a real organic sort of feel to it. And that's kind of the, I mean, to me, that's what ghosts, you know, human survival of death, um, the energy and stuff. That's, it's a real kind of organic, not, not like an industrial, you know, man-made mm-hmm. electric sort of feeling and there. And I think there is a difference or at least mm-hmm. in my experience, um, man-made EMF um, versus, you know, I guess mm-hmm. not non-man-made <laughs> EMF does, it no. does feel a little different. Like when we saw these lights uh, in the little town of Vida, Oregon, these giant pyrotechnic sized lights that look like they should have been at a Van Halen show. But (laughs) as much as I say that there was no sound, it was a full moon. It was a clear night, like a, you know, a hot, nice 11 o'clock in the wilderness kind of night. Mm -hmm. And uh, to see this giant pyrotechnic show erupt in the tree line, actually in front of the tree line and stair step through the tree, it peeled back the darkness that was there, even with the moon out, and it should have blinded you, but it had this angelic purity to it, as though it wasn't light, it was peeling away darkness. So it would be like the equivalent of holding a white sheet of paper up in total blackness, and then you, all you saw was, you know, the self-illuminated sheet of paper. Um, and it had these spires that came out of it. It wasn't a solid ball. It, you know, exploded and then came back in on itself. And to watch the witness, Whoa. I was with me. You know, here's a gal saying this is a supernatural phenomena you're looking into. And one day you will see these lights to have her watch this with me and go, see, I told you so. It didn't even phase her. And that's when I knew <laughs> that I knew that this stuff was really happening. Right. Because she was so demure about seeing this. And yeah. that was just really, you know, it floored me. So now I, you know, I'm kind of in her position where I'm walking with other people. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, you know, recently, um, you know, there's paranormal investigation and, and people were sharing what, what they experienced. And I seem to have a very, apparently I had a very demure approach to it. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're like, wait, how can you not have any sort of reaction to that? And it's the same. It's that extended experiencer, right. Where you've just experienced something for so many times. Uh, I think that's pretty amazing. And she probably enjoyed seeing you have that experience more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. That does turn. It's like a gift. You watch somebody have the experience. That's the new gift is, you know, you're basically living through their eyes like you would your kid or something like that. But yeah, it's yeah. um, varying. I think about that event all the time. I mean, I maybe think about it once a day and it happened in 2010 or 11. So it hasn't wow. left me. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And that would be so cool to see something like that. Um, and another comment here uh, from Jay. And I think that you know, I take a sense of humor with this one because I mean, just the visual of it. Said, so could could their fur cause static electricity? <laughs> well, I there, guess, there, you know, there's some to that. Maybe there could be. There's that. Maybe that's what's causing the explosion. But um, <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know. There's an interesting uh, conversation 
uh, to be had about the hair of Sasquatch, not the fur. I think it's different than fur, um, that the hair itself absorbs light and it gives them the ability to seem transparent. But the problem with that, of course, is, well, you know, they don't have hair everywhere. Their eyes disappear as well. Their fingernails disappear. Their teeth disappear. So it can't just be their hair absorbing light, although it does seem to do that because when people describe seeing this blackness, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it reminds me of like uh, someone describing the, you know, the TR3B or this ultra stealth black, you know, matte finish effect. OK, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just absorbs or or reflects mm-hmm. light, I guess. Right. And not always. I mean, there's plenty of white ones out there, too, which make no sense at all. Uh, I've never had the privilege of, of seeing that. But, um, you know, red ones are uh, very popular, especially out in. Uh, Eastern Oregon area, Arizona, uh, maybe indicative of where they are, but then you hear about orange red ones out here in the, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And are white ones most often found in mountains, you know, where snow is prevalent? Uh, no, no, okay. no, not really. Um, they are talked about in the same areas where the black and the white ones are seen as well. But, um, Maybe it's because I know less about, uh, you know, the sightings that have been seen in places where it snows a lot like Wisconsin or Alaska or something like that. But um, right. It could be, of course, the Yeti or the urine uh, over in uh, the Himalayas would be indicative of the abominable snowman. But, um, you know, every continent has a story about something like this. Yeah, it's I've that's one of the things that's kind of always made me think it's very possible because you have cultures that had no contact with each other uh, that we know of, you know, in, in history, hundred, hundred years ago, 200, a thousand, 2000 years ago, all over the world. And there's a story from like you said, almost every, well, every continent, every, mm-hmm. you know, place has a different version of it. And I guess it re- stands to reason that, you know, all these different cultures having different stories. And well, I guess they could be like, you know, a uh, human in the sense that we all are, we're all very diverse in how mm-hmm. we look. And so why not, you know, why not something like that too? But does that play more to the flesh and blood side of things rather than the paranormal? Because it makes them a little more human, right? Yeah. I mean, I, there's a gal named Julie Scott, who had a, a case up here in Washington. She wrote a book called um, Visits from the Forest People. Her and her husband, Wayne, had uh, perpetual extended experiences here on the Olympic Peninsula, and they moved, and the phenomena followed them, which it will do, tend to do sometime. And uh, Wayne ended up seeing a new clan, a new subtype or culture of Bigfoot that he said looked specifically very Native American with way less facial features, high cheekbones, um, uh, you know, a very prominent long nose and very, very native. And yeah. so that was, that caught him off guard that, uh, you know, they could change that rapidly just from a couple miles away. Yeah. Well, shoot. Then that kind of just, I don't know, that would make my head spin because that, wow. Um, that just kind of makes me think more of the flesh and blood side though, that there's just, they're like us, they're just diverse and, 
in how they look. And quick question before we take a top of the hour break here. And by the way, in the second hour here coming up, we're going to, we're going to get into the owl moon lab experiment and kind of go have Toby kind of walk us through uh, a lot of that experiment that's been going on, but great question. And, and I've heard of this myself as well is, is, do they smell? Some people say they smell like death. Mm. Yeah. I've heard that too. There's only on one occasion in the general area where the Al Moon lab story takes place, where I was driving through a hot spot and uh, we had all the windows down and I smell what extended experiencers had described to me. And then we quickly backed up the car uh, to see if the smell had, uh, you know, been a dead animal or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, the smell was gone. So, you know, maybe it was something fleeting through the area there. Uh, there's interesting stories about them possibly killing skunks and stealing the gland out of a skunk to use it as kind of like a bioweapon at a certain yeah. time to keep you back or to protect their, you know, youngin. So uh, maybe something like that's going on, but um, yeah. don't know too much about that that's (laughs) i mean i've I've always heard that that they that they smelled bad and um i have yet to experience that at least i think i've never experienced that um well we're going to continue on and when we come back from our top of the hour break um we're going to be talking about the owl moon lab experiment and we'll be playing some audio and stuff uh during this second hour so stick around we're here on let's talk radio wltkdb it's the paranormal pete show and i'm your host peter orbea we'll be back here in a few minutes we're going to pay the station bills we'll see you on the other side Historic investment in education and child care. I'm Lisa Lacerra, Fox News. That's what the White House is saying about the plan President Biden is set to unveil in his address to a joint session of Congress tomorrow. President Biden already announced the American Jobs Plan, but Wednesday night, just ahead of his 100th day in office, he will announce the American Families Plan, which will focus on investing in child care and education. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki was asked what the next 100 days would hold. Well, first, we certainly believe we're still going to... uh, be at war with the, with the virus um, and there's more work to be done to uh, get the virus under control to meet people where they are to uh, get people vaccinated who uh, may not be confident in the efficacy at this point in time she says they will work to get the american jobs plan passed and will also be focused on police reform as well as climate change policies jessica rosenthal fox news this afternoon the president hailed the new guidance from the cdc that said vaccinated people can gather without masks outside in small groups while we we still have a long way to go in this fight and a lot of work to do in May and June to get us to July 4th. We've made stunning progress because of all of you, the American people. But the president said we still need to be vigilant and ask those who have not yet been vaccinated to do so. Despite an 8 p.m. curfew, some protesters remain on the street in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, as the FBI and local authorities investigate the shooting death of Andrew Brown Jr., a black man killed by police last week. The family today released results of an independent autopsy. Yesterday, I said he was executed. This autopsy report 
Show me that was correct. Brown's son, Khalil Therabi. Police have said they were trying to serve a warrant based on information that Brown was selling drugs. A hearing set for tomorrow to determine whether police body cam footage of the shooting should be made public. America's listening to Fox News. If you're a business owner, you don't need us to tell you that running a business is tough. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Schedule your free product tour right now at NetSuite.com slash Fox. NetSuite.com slash Fox. Voters in California will likely get a chance to decide if Governor Gavin Newsom should be recalled this fall. One of the Republicans running against him, former San Diego San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer, says it's more than just COVID-19 restrictions. The fact that our public schools in California are still fully not reopened, it's, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. And I say that not just as a candidate for governor, but as a, a father with two kids in public schools. The fact of exploding homelessness across our state, rising crime. And so what you are seeing is Californians who are ready to make that change at the top. And he says the one-party rule in California has not helped the state. Last week, Republican and reality TV star Caitlyn Jenner announced she's running as well. Marine scientists say they found what they believe to be as many as 25,000 barrels that could contain the chemical DDT dumped off the southern California coast near Catalina Island where a large underwater toxic waste site dating back to World War II has long been suspected. The scientists found the barrels while conducting a survey of the area last month. They say they hope the discovery will prompt a cleanup of the site. Amazon is expanding one of its grocery delivery options. Amazon will be making more deliveries right into people's garages. It's offering in-garage delivery to every city where it makes Amazon Fresh or Whole Foods grocery deliveries, 5,000 U.S. cities. Garage deliveries started in Chicago, Dallas, San Francisco, Seattle, and Los Angeles last year. Customers need to use Amazon's key by delivery service, which requires you to set up the technology to allow deliveries into your home. If you're not home, the company suggests you use a smart home camera to watch your delivery happen. Ginny Cosilda, Fox News. Final Nielsen data shows 10.5 million people watched the Academy Awards Sunday. I'm Lisa Lacerra, and this is Fox News. Welcome back to the Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Peter Urbea. It's four past the second hour here. If you're listening on the East Coast, thanks for hanging in with us. It's getting pretty late there, and we hope we're uh, keeping your attention here. So thanks for listening. Uh, the sun's finally gone down here out in the Northwest. So we're getting to that time of year where the uh, sun doesn't go down to like 10 o'clock in the summer. So I'm looking forward to that. Anywho. We're on tonight, episode 19 on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. And we're here with special guest Toby Johnson. But I want to get a, give a quick shout out to our station manager, Todd Bates, host of Haunted Voices. And uh, he's been going through a lot of internet infrastructure work <laughs> where the station is. And uh, I just want to say thanks to Todd for, for all the running around and rigmarole he's been doing. So big shout out to Todd Bates with Haunted Voices. Thanks a lot. Um, make sure you check out some of the other shows here on Let's Talk Radio. 
there's some good ones, great topics. And, uh, you know, there's, it, I hope you check out the other shows uh, and not just mine. So just make sure you go to the website, WLTKDB.com. And you can get the show archive list there. All the shows are on there or wherever you get your favorite podcast, Google, Amazon, um, Podbean. I have stuff on Podbean, uh, YouTube, wherever you get your favorite podcast, you'll, you'll find let's talk radio. So thanks for listening and supporting this, the station. It's, uh, I think about a year old now, maybe a little over a year old, um, and happy to be a part of it. So thanks for listening and, and always supporting. I really appreciate it. And so before the break, you know, we had a question of do Bigfoot smell and that's, you know, been a pretty common report. And, and Toby, I've got kind of a, uh, it was a story that, that I think of often and it always makes me laugh. And years ago I worked at a sporting goods store and I had this gentleman come in one day. He was, he was out of breath when he got in there and, um, He's, he came up to the gun counter, he put his hands down real heavy and said, give me the strongest binoculars you got. <laughs> and I, he just had kind of this panicked look on his face. And I said, well, is everything all right? And he says, well, I've, I've got uh, my house and it's up in the uh, Suquamish area here in Kitsap County. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the area, it's uh, straight across Puget Sound from Seattle, basically, is the Kitsap Peninsula. And uh, so kind of more on the northern northern end of that. And there's always been a lot of uh, Bigfoot reports and sightings out of this area. And we're right next to the Olympic Peninsula, which is famous for uh, Bigfoot research. So uh, but this guy said, you know, is everything OK? And he says, well, I got at my house and me and my buddies were on the back deck and we looked up the hillside he you know lives in the wood in wooded area and we we heard a big noise and so we looked up towards the ridge and we saw this these trees shaking around uh, decent sized trees it seemed to be moving and that caught our attention and we seen this big brown hairy figure move this rock and uh, kind of broke a tree over and then it took off and they went up there to investigate and they found the rock and from where they were their perspective it didn't seem very large it, it seemed like you know a smaller rock and when they got up there to this area they discovered that this rock was huge and five of them could barely budget and you know pushing on it and he said it smelled like death up there, this horrible smell. So he was coming in to get the strongest binoculars he could so he could spot this thing. And uh, I've always just, you know, kind of chuckle about that story. And it's almost like, you know, well, hey, why don't you get a camera instead of uh, binoculars? Right, Toby? Right. Yeah, <laughs> that would make sense. But he, he was just so surprised. Uh, from their perspective, the rock did not seem big at all. And this thing seemed to pick it up, turn to its side and drop it and then broke a tree and, and took off and almost like it was, you know, angry about something. But when they got up there, he said that the five of them could barely even budge this boulder. So yeah, was fascinating. It? Yeah. The strength isn't an issue for them. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh, as I get older, I wish I had that strength, <laughs> right? We're all getting old. Dang it. <laughs> and uh, real quick, have you heard the story of in Russia? And this was from another comment. Um, a female Bigfoot was possibly found. And if I remember correctly, I think it was decades ago, but um, she had, you know, human clothes on and apparently um, had some offspring with the locals. Have you ever heard that? I remember yeah, hearing about it somewhere. I, I do too. I mean, that, I've heard about that story. Uh, these stories go from continent to continent periodically. Russia has a few of those. Uh, there's a story here also of um, Sarah Winnemucca, who was taken by a group of Bigfoot or an individual of Bigfoot and actually came back with Sasquatch hair. And they actually made a, uh, a dress for her, which is in a museum that actually has some of this hair embedded into it. Um, you know, the consequences, of course, of taking Bigfoot hair. I believe there's a supernatural con uh, context to taking uh you know, by bi biology from a Bigfoot home with you. And oh. the Native Americans certainly believe that as well. I think that's why we still have activity where I live now is based upon things like having tracks and hair and, um, you know, skin cells and things like that. So that that perfume, that paranormal perfume attaches itself to the phenomena. Oh, interesting. OK, well, well geez, I'd never thought of that before interesting mm -hmm. well i want to talk to you about the owl moon lab experiment um it, it's it's really interesting and i will not describe it because i will not do it as justice <laughs> so I tell I will. well you do better than i am i'm sure um but you know tell us you know for all the listeners out there people tuning in what what is the basis of the experiment and when did it start? Well, so it started around 2018 in a small farmhouse in Cottage Grove, Oregon with Daryl and Cindy Adams. And Daryl had lived previously in a haunted house, which I find out later, but is interesting that he <laughs> had. Uh, and he had a brother that was really into Bigfoot and he had recently retired and basically got a hold of me online and said, Hey, I know that you're out here Bigfoot and periodically I just moved up here from California. I'm retired. You know, if you ever want to go squatching, let's hop in my little truck and we'll head up into the woods. I, you know, live where supposedly there's a lot of action. Well, he did. Uh, he lived kind of in a, you know, a very well-known locals hotspot for weird things, including Bigfoot. Okay. And so on an elk hunt uh, that we had sometime around March 30th, 2018, he had drawn a tag to go elk hunting and we were testing out his new to you pickup truck. And he was out there glassing the environment, looking for potential kill. And I'm out there, you know, looking shotgun for Bigfoot and having a good old time. And that's when I find out he lived in a, a haunted house and they dealt with uh you know, very strange stuff. And uh, so I was like, well, this is a guy that can maybe hang with my opinion here. But I said, Daryl, I do have to tell you, though, that, you know, I kind of have a reputation. And so if you want to go to all these other Bigfoot conferences, maybe don't mention my name because, you know, I'm pretty out there as far as, you know, the things that I talk about now. So that's just <laughs> the way this community is. You know, you find mm -hmm. out that these guys are so thin skinned that you can't hang 
you know, with certain people. Otherwise, you know, you're not doing your due diligence and the work. So mm-hmm. it just, you know, so douchey. So <laughs> it's just like, here's the deal, man. This is the way it's going to go. And he goes, I don't care. I'm retired. I just want to know, you know, I want to have fun. I'm retired. I want to know what's going on. So I said, okay, well, you know, I told him all my experiences, which we've skimmed over tonight and um, we're out there elk hunting. And on Good Friday, underneath the full moon, which is also known as the owl moon, we find a out the shotgun side of his little pickup truck. I see two impressions in the red clay. And it was also an area where he thought he had seen previously some interesting tree markings or structures. And so I was like, well, you know, back up the truck. Well, we ended up uh, rolling camera, you know, my phone in this case, and looking at these two pockets in the mud. Well, we got closer and we saw anatomy of what looked like knee impressions. And so uh, they were very interesting looking impressions. Daryl was convinced that it wasn't an elk or a cow or a horse or anything just based upon the size and the fact that they had black hair sticking out of the mud. When I say mud, I actually mean it was, you know, it was a beautiful day. It wasn't wet at all. It was a fresh impression in this red clay, like a 35, 40 degree angle going up an embankment close to this gravel road. We come back, we cast these prints, we uh, take hair samples beforehand and uh, send the hair samples off to Canada because I'm doing, uh, I'm reigniting my podcast, which was previously known as Bigfoot and Bear, into Strange Brow Radio at this little brew house called the Axe and Fiddle in Cottage Grove. And we're doing this live event once a month. We're inviting extended experiencers or experiences in general to talk about ghosts and UFOs in front of a live crowd while they're having a beer. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, what better thing to show on the big screen or to talk about than how to cast impressions? So that's why we did this. It's just like, well, it's going to come back as an elk when we send this hair off to this gal in Canada. Uh, it turns out it's pretty hard to send hair off to Canada since the biological. So figure that oh. one out on your own. Oh, and um, so we filmed everything and uh, we found out, uh, you know, we we secured the cast which was a you know 50 pound impression of these knee impressions one solid piece of plaster and um, the next week or two uh, the the prints are drying we find out this hair comes back as anomalous from this gal that uh, basically a veterinarian and she says you know these do not belong in any classification of any species subspecies ungulate deer cow whatever and it's not human. It's human-like. And she goes, it goes under the category of like six other hairs I would put in this category out of over 200 hair samples. So wow, we were, you know, elated because we had her live on the big screen. And thus begins this Bigfoot journey at this place that we eventually called the Al Moon Lab. And the reason that, you know, it got the name, of course, was we found these knee impressions underneath this moon. But the lab portion was, is that um, something was studying us as much as we were studying it because the phenomena seems to approach certain people at certain places where it's comfortable and maybe having those knee impressions kind of ignited this game, you know, having a hair, having the skin cell samples, the fact that we are interested in it at all. If these were, you know, Bigfoot knee impressions, uh, then there was maybe a consequence of having them. 
Yeah, and it, almost like it was it knew you would spot those. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, gave credit to the fact that Daryl said that he saw some uh, stick structures up here, you know, in the same area. We were on our way to go look at these stick structures after this deer hunt. So uh, we ended up actually finding stuff near these knee impressions that I thought were even more impressive, which, you know, are these white branches that were all leaning up together as a group on this fir tree. And they were all butt stock end up while the pointy side was down, leaning up in like a group of five. And they were about eight feet tall. Now, the forest does a lot of crazy stuff. You can't just say mm-hmm. everything's a stick structure, right. but these were out of place and somebody put them there because they didn't belong to that tree. And the fact that all the stocks were punched together in a certain area was interesting enough. And so, uh, you know, without Daryl saying, hey, let's go look at this, uh, maybe we wouldn't have known. But, you know, maybe the phenomena was gunning for him, too. Who knows? Yeah, and especially, you know, he seems to have had experiences with the paranormal in in the sense of a haunted house. Right. Um, you know, probably human spirits too. So uh, maybe he was a easy target. They knew he he was an experiencer sort of, you know. Yeah. That's what I would yeah. think. Yeah. So you said that you felt like something was studying you guys as much as you were trying to oh, yeah. study and discover it. What are... Um, what are some other things that you would, that makes you say, you know, that it was studying you guys give it, give me a couple examples. It would hear us talk. Um, it would know what we were thinking and it would prove that it knew it. And it hurt us specifically on the property by leaving gifts that were associated with conversations. One of the first things that happened was I had a conversation while Daryl was out hiking with his little dog. Now, by this time, I'm totally immersed in trying to find an extended experiencer like that Navy SEAL guy or the other couples that I had spoken to. Mm -hmm. And so here's this recent retiree, and I'm keeping contact with him as I'm a full-time truck driver going up and down the interstate to and fro, periodically checking in on this, you know, new friend of mine. And so he calls me up and he says, you know, I'm on this trail up here, Brock Houndon, and I've got my little dog Izzy with me. And um, I think I'm going to head back home now. I'm thirsty. The dog's totally thirsty. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll see you later. You know, I don't know next time I'll be buying. As he's walking back on the single trail that he just came in on, um, Mm -hmm. standing upright with a mossy patina on the top of it, was a red thermos, you know, like a plastic red thermos. And it was standing right there in the trail. So I get a call back with this picture of this thermos. Well, ding, ding, ding. That's gifting 101, right? They, they're, you know, giving him not only an object, but they've heard an issue develop of thirst. Now, I know how this sounds to people that are skeptical about this, but once you find out that this phenomena does listen to you, that's a big one. Uh, Hikers that are thirsty. It's not the only person I've said that, that has some kind of receptacle dropped off on the trail or by their tent having to do with either hunger or thirst or clothing. Um, Wow. So, you know, I get back home and I see what he has. Well, I've seen this before especially with the aged gift with this mossy patina, like it's been housed away like in a cave. It has a musty smell to it. Like you would find something underground. 
Yeah. And it has wear to it, but it doesn't look dirty. It looks like it's been preserved somewhere. And so I explain, you know, hey, remember I told you I'm the weirdo that is going to come out with these weird theories? Like, I think they were listening to you about Izzy. And he goes, I do too. And um, boy, as soon as, you know, we were both on the same page, I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. This is going to be so cool and easy. But what if he's hoaxing me? Like, what if, you know what I mean? Like the human element of me came in like, Maybe I'm getting played because, you know, there's this whole set of other issues here where people do crazy shit. And so I'm alert to like people can be weirdos and do crazy shit or stuff. Excuse me. And um, it's okay. (laughs) Anyway, um, so, yeah, so that that's really when the permission slip started with the gifting. So that was an example of them uh, listening or, uh, you know, experimenting with us in some degree. And there's so many examples of specific things like that, that you would just be, your mind would be blown. I mean, I could go on and on about things we had talked about. Cindy, the wife, dared the phenomena on the patio to say, hey, you know, my husband and this guy, Tobe, you know, I think you guys are crazy. If you guys are really out here right now, broad daylight, then bring us a piece of gold. And I thought, well, this ought to be good. And... um <laughs> Now, does this mean this is Bigfoot? No. You know, my scenario is here that you walk inside, um, you know, the Star Wars bar and you've got Chewbacca and you've got 30 other aliens roaming around and phenomena, right? Right. right. And um, so whatever's listening here is, you know, the other, this phenomena. And so that a couple days go by. At this point, I'm already living on the property and I have my awning stretched out over my camper full-time researcher working 40 hours a week. Yeah, it was yeah. tiring. But um, so on my awning, a couple days later, there was a 1912 or something like that, uh, Peter's rifle casing. And it was bright gold sitting right there on the awning. Now, there was no way that I put that rifle casing up there, antique rifle casing on the canopy of my awning, you know, seven yeah. feet up. Yeah, uh, but it is where other gifts had landed as well, and so it was a gold object. I think it was an answer to the dare from <laughs> the wife. That's awesome. Um, so on and on with examples of of those kind of things. Okay, so um, so that probably really got things ignited for you. Um, you know, that's interesting. The, the gifting part of it. Did you ever have um, you know rock throwing? Where mm-hmm. they toss something, you know, like mm-hmm. I, like in your camper, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, did they ever toss rocks at at the camper? Or do you well, have that, like those that? phone calls came in. Um, I'd get these transmissions from Daryl while I was truck driving, and uh, he'd say, you know, we heard this strange popping sound or hit or snap sound, and um, we thought we had kind of assumed, you know, that's what it was. But then there's this other theory about this energetic sound barrier of the supernatural kind of exploding as something at ports. So I was like, you know, you got to get a recorder. And he goes, well, I have a parabolic. I'm like, dude, get out the parabolic. (laughs) Um, So we start recording, you know, over 1400 hours worth of audio in the beginning of these little poppy, clicky tap sounds, including the key one, which, you know, for ghost hunters here, uh, I would love to know. So get in touch with me at strangebrowradio at gmail.com this mic flick phenomena where something actually walks up to the microphone or goes to the mic without a sound and actually flicks the mic. Um, 
Very interesting. So that's how it started. Yeah. I, you know, and I've had, um, on an investigation before, um, it sounded, so there was a, there was an EVP of a voice. Uh, we did not hear it live when it happened, Mm -hmm. but on the audio file, there's like this really loud, it sounds like somebody slid the recorder across the floor. Wow. Is what it's, it's like a big whoosh type sound. And then this, this EVP hits. And I always thought, well, what the heck was that sound? Is it some sort of sound barrier mm-hmm. or something that's being broken? Um, I just always thought that was, that was kind of interesting. And so speaking of the, the recorder being touched, um, I'd like to play clip six here and let the audience listen. This is where uh, you thought that the recorder was touched and you can actually hear something eating as well on another part of this clip. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, let's, let's play clip six and we'll run it through a couple times. So everyone can get a good listen. Okay. Oh, I, I I apparently cut out. So let's go with clip six, uh, the recorder touch. Hey, Toby, can you hear me? I can't. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. So in explain this one a little bit, kind of where, where, do, I mean, I guess let's back up, back up just a little bit. I think that that clip is so cool because you can actually hear something eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So where was the audio set up in relation to uh, the house or where you, where your camper was and, you know, how did you figure out where to set up audio equipment? We started to get gifts uh, in these hot spots. The camper was one of them on the awning, uh, a walking step uh, left by my door, three scratches in front of the steps leading to the camper that looked like a talons of an eagle scratching in the uh, gravel. The whole place is gravel. So you should Mm -hmm. be able to hear everything, especially as it approaches at night. Now, on this Mm -hmm. occasion, um, I was either out trucking. I always had a recorder going by the camper, though, and it was usually right there outside so they could see it. I assume they knew everything already. So I'm like, well, you know, I know you don't want cameras out here, but I'd like to get to know you. So I'm going to work or I'm going to bed and I know I'm not going to see you. And so I'll set the recorder here. And so that's what you heard here. The first part is, you know, you can hear them walk up to the recorder, uh, you know, touch it or move it slightly. And then I parked right next to these blackberry bushes. Blackberry season's approaching. Um, I come home from work. Underneath the awning is a line of blackberries, fresh blackberries uh, underneath the awning going out to the tree line through the gravel. So I thought, my God, you know, I left at 12 o'clock in the morning or, you know, at night and I went to work, I come back and I find this. So 
I go to the recorder and I hear the sound of something eating and then the looped sound that you heard here because it was looped. It mm-hmm. sneezed uh, once. And uh, that's what I believed we heard was a sneeze. And the reason I believe that is when I came back to look at these blackberries, I looked up, you know, for what had happened as far as there being a sneeze. And there was an aspiration of blackberry juice on the underpinning of the vinyl part of my canopy awning of blackberry spray about 13 inches long. What had this been a hoax, right? Let's, (laughs) let's say that this was somebody trying to mess with me. Okay. They went through the trouble of eating the blackberry juice and then aspirating all the seeds up there and all the juice and all that stuff. Um, Just an incredible thing you know, kind of ballsy to do too, you know, because everyone has a gun, including me. So that's how things started. Wow. (laughs) That's crazy that there was a spray on the underside of the awning. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. I just like that because you can hear something, chomp, 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 you know, (laughs) and that's what berries sound Mm -hmm. like when you're eating them. You know, I, I knew yeah. Without even reading the description, like, the, you know, someone snacking on some berries or something. Um, well, let's let's uh, play clip nine here. There's some drumming sounds. And afterwards, I want you to talk a little bit about the context of, of this. Mm-hmm. There's also some snarls and just the overall experience with drumming and, mm-hmm. and wood knocking and that sort of thing. So let's yeah. go ahead with uh, clip nine. Here we go. Okay. Those snarls are creepy. I'll just say that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with, let's start with that. Um, I mean, what do you think that was? You know, um, it was an answer to a question, really. Uh, Two days before that, this is my belief anyway, we had the author and scientist Henry Franzoni up to uh, research the property for 24 hours or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he was also, he's also a drummer. And so we were talking about his theory that the resonance between drum strokes is where the vibrational state of the paranormal exists. And if we can find out the, the place between the beats as a drummer, you know, he's kind of esoteric in his thinking, sure. uh, Very beatnik esque. And, and so we were, you know, having that theory about his, his, uh, his scientific approach to drumming and approaching the paranormal and um, all throughout the property time and time again, a lot of this stuff was happening in this metal shop. You know, you could park two small RVs inside this metal shop. Okay. And we had learned that there was a sweet spot inside and outside on the North end corner. And so I would often leave my recorder outside or inside the sweet spot. Well, that's what you're hearing two days after Henry had left. Something had picked up a 50 gallon barrel. We had an empty 50 gallon drum out there just kind of left behind from the previous owners. Mm -hmm. Uh, We believe that's what's being picked up and drummed on 
because we did a replay of it ourselves. And um, the snarls are unaccounted for as far as who made those. Um, I can tell you that we have found large, massive fingerprints in there that are size, doubles the size of like a kielbasa sausage. Um, oh, jeez. Uh, laid out on uh, not only the uh, rain pipe coming down the gutters, uh, but also the back of the pickup truck, uh, footprints that have been impacted in the gravel down to the hard pan. And that gets into the vibrational state because to leave a track is one thing, but to leave a track without squishing your foot foot around or your boot or whatever, um, to actually push the gravel down into the hard pan takes some kind of vibrational thing to happen. And mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, that goes into the weeds a little bit, but getting to that sound there, um, that's what we believe we had heard is something picking up that barrel in response to Henry talking about drumming. Yeah. And then a very samurai chatter-esque uh, percussive snarl huff, which has been vetted by, you know, all the apers that have been willing to listen to it, including the people over here at the Olympic Project. Uh, wow. And the drumming part, I think, is just, um, I think that that's probably something that um, gets connected throughout the different cultures and history. Um, Because music, you know, I mean, music is vibration. And I've talked about it a lot on this show with different guests of music is kind of, at least for me, it's a way to find um, that other plane and, mm-hmm. and get to the, get to that other side. I, I like to use sound and sound waves, um, and the vibrations from sound waves to kind of, in a sense, get in the zone for doing psychic work and stuff like that. So it, it would, I guess, stand a reason they may use rhythm, the, you know, like I said, the, the sounds, what have the reverberation between drum strokes, Mm-hmm. You know, that they're using maybe that as their communication or as a way to um, charge themselves up. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It could have been a, a nod just to an old friend, uh, too, because Henry is an extended experiencer. He wrote a book called The Spirit of Seattle about his uh, theory of place names, which was really one of the other preeminent books that told me, that, hey, if you want to get close to the phenomena, go find these place names, which are areas named after crazy things like uh, spirit mountain or Wendigo Ridge or, you know, Skookum Valley. So all of these, you know, names got, uh, you know, there's a reason behind them. And right. so you can have experiences when you go to these places. And that was, you know, Henry's, uh, you know, uh, mission in life was to draw closer to the phenomena. Yeah. Very well funded, uh, he did a report with Peter Byrne called the Glickman Report near Mount Rainier for five years. It was funded by the state. And um, so he had put a lot of time in, and but he's so off the reservation with his theories about uh, how supernatural this is. Yeah. And I think that was a reciprocation that, hey, pay attention to Henry. <laughs> yeah listen to the drummer <laughs> yeah right <laughs> that's that's awesome well you you've not only captured um some snarls and, and you know seemingly almost random sounds i guess mm-hmm. um you know but you've also captured voices as well and 
I'm wondering if let's play clip four and here's uh, these are four different EVPs. So um, I'm guessing that you were not uh, present and that this was, you know, where, where you'd left your recorder in place, right? Yeah. A lot of times we would just hit the sack and uh, record every night. Okay. Okay. Let's hear um, clip number four. Check this out, people. Mm. There it is. Interesting. So what do you think that is? So that was a compilation of nights, um, Mm -hmm. you know, put together for you. And, um, that, again, that was the sweet spot in this metal shop, which, you know, in Henry's, uh, he was kind of wondering whether or not we built some kind of Tesla coil because it was an energized metal unit that was charged constantly with these coil and springs. And, you know, that it's capped on top of a uh, artesian spring near a creek bed. So we have water running there with the supercharged structure. Crazy theories, right? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it was seemed to be paying off. And we didn't really, I mean, I didn't expect to find, I didn't, the only thing I knew about EVPs is they seem legit and I hadn't caught one yet. And I wasn't a ghost guy, but mm-hmm. the phenomena has all this other layered effect to it. And once you go down this rabbit hole, you find everything, including stuff you may not want to find. And <laughs> um, so we, you know, we hear on those EVPs, a couple of things. I think, uh, towards the tail end of it, we hear two separate individuals saying either help me get back or Toby get back. Now, if it did say that, um, then it might be in behest of the fact that I was basically waiting for the phenomena 24 hours a day. Sleep, you know, sleep was rare and I was pushing the limits, you know, getting so close to, the experience, but it was always right out of reach. So there was language in there. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to quantify it other than the fact that it seemed to erupt and there yeah. are oftentimes these clicks and pops and towards the end of that EVP, you're kind of a rolling knocking sound. That was something else that we would find. Interesting. Yeah. And, and listening to it, I mean, it has kind of a female timbre to the vocalization. I mean, would you agree? It sounds good, you know, female. Yeah. Towards the end, it sounds uh, like a child. Uh, and then at uh, the sec, the very last one there has that whispery kind of, uh, you know, kind of creepy, I, I guess that's the right word <laughs> to hear anything, you know, whispering or yeah. you know, trying to get air. Yeah. And, and what I think is um, cool about it is, you know, this hot spot, you know, the, the sweet spot, as you, as you called it in this area, um, maybe it's, you know, maybe more than Sasquatch is being attracted to that. Um, you know, maybe human spirits are drawn there and they're, you know, trying to get their, whatever message they had to get it out. Um, you know, and just speak out. So that's kind of interesting because I, what those sound like to me is more of like human, human voice. 
Um, right. I mean, maybe it, as, as someone who's a seer, are you picking up on anything? Well, I mean, it's, it definitely feels like female to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel like it's human, mm-hmm. um, you know, human spirit or, or something. Um, you know, I, I can't say what it says, you know, or much more detail than that. I'd really have to, you know, listen to it like a hundred times just on a loop Mm-hmm. And, you know, and to really kind of feel it, but, uh, I'm just kind of wondering if all those, you know, all those environmental things like the water, the water running through, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is indicative of, or it's, you know, there seems to be paranormal activity where there's, you know, natural springs or, or, you know, water running right underneath somewhere, um, so, I mean, it sounds kind of human to me. I'd like to play clip number five on this one. And you've got this one described as a Scooby laugh. <laughs> and it is like a Scooby laugh. Yeah. Um, so let's play clip number five and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a rock roll <laughs> right right um yeah what what is when did you i mean was that a completely separate time from those last evps we just played and you know get a little context that would, on that one right so that would have been in the beginning stages of us recording and what had happened is that uh, the previous owners had moved out suddenly and sold this place this was the place that they had lived at and raised their kids at Mm -hmm. Um, they hadn't all graduated. They were all going to the same school and suddenly they were all uprooted and they sold the place for less than like 25,000 asking price and only moved about 45 minutes down the road. I thought that was odd. Turns out a couple months later, the oldest son kills himself. Um, we find out that his room is downstairs in this house. And I thought, well, let's go in there and, um, you know, leave a recorder and see what we can get out of that window. And um, that's where we got that sound. Now, we, we weren't expecting that, but, you know, this phenomena likes to mess with digital artifact. And I, I don't know what we have there other than the fact it reminded me of Scooby-Doo. Um, yeah. It has the percussive quality, according to David Ellis, who looks at, uh, you know, the audio spectrogram analysis for the Olympic project out here in the Pacific Northwest to say mm-hmm. this was an authentic moment that happened here. This wasn't pre-recorded, but uh, the phenomena likes to mess with electronics enough to where I think it borrows things from other devices and puts them on places because we're also at this time getting photographs implanted on our phones with no timestamp or date stamp pictures black screens with vocals on them as though something is borrowing our voices to speak another language no time stamp no date stamp so there's a lot of cross pollination and manipulation going on you know you can't really say it's been debunked when it's even weirder than what you thought and that's kind of where i'm at with it is that it's way weirder than i think yeah has has uh anybody who i you know an a wildlife expert in mm-hmm. in uh vocalizations has anybody looked at it 
Oh, the Scooby laugh? No, I think I'd be laughed out of the room because it, it so sounds like I'm a moment off of Scooby-Doo, you know, right? But yeah. the mystery solved or something. Yeah. I can't even think of what else it sounds like. I mean, if that yeah. is a Bigfoot laughing, let's say that's the case, then, uh, you know, he is maybe mimicking a Scooby-Doo episode. Maybe the kid that <laughs> killed himself watched Scooby-Doo in there. This room was very interesting. Um the light bulbs would explode on their own. And when they would explode, uh, you know, there's the flange of the light bulb uh, or the, um, the glass holder underneath the light bulb for the ceiling mount. And the glass would explode outside of the, uh, the thing that holds the lamp together, which was very interesting that it would do that. And then we would find these small, chalky, white, childlike, four-fingered handprints on the door. Um, they didn't match anybody we knew. Um, mm-hmm. I had heard a little bit about residual uh, chalky white substance left behind in Sasquatch cases, but these were almost alien looking, like four little rubbery hands pressed up against the door that left this white residue. So it kind of things started getting weird in that room and then migrated at that, that point out into the property And then we talked to the neighbors. And once we started talking to like the farmer up on the ridge or the guy that lived over there, we found out they all had weird stuff too. Now see, that is, I like that part of it. When you can talk to other people um, who are living in that area, they're, you know, and they're experiencing odd things as well. I mean, did that just kind of, you know, that kind of keep you going that, Hey, you know, other people are yeah having weird anomalies happen. And so we're not possibly not entirely crazy here. <laughs> right. I mean, totally. And it discounted, I mean, I could look at Daryl and kind of cross him off the list as far as someone hoaxing or, you know, Cindy for that matter, or anybody else, because, you know, um, for example, the farmer up the way there, a guy that we called Wormy, <laughs> he, uh, he ended up telling us that he saw a blue-eyed bear. And I said, well, what do you mean it was blue-eyed? And he goes, well, it had glowing blue eyes and it was walking towards me as I was grabbing firewood for the night. So I ran into the house as it approached me and um, it was upright. I guess it was a blue-eyed bear. Um, so that was pretty interesting for a guy to say. And that was, and that happened before, um, before Daryl had moved there. Yeah. Right. And okay. He, you know, they don't talk a lot. These, uh, I call them river folk. You got to really earn their trust. And so it took sure. a, a couple keystone lights in his case to get him to talk. <laughs> hey, you know, gotta get the conversation going in wherever <laughs> right, right. you can. Right. So that's uh, interesting. It's, it, I, I like the fact that, I mean, I hope people weren't scared, but I like the fact that other people in the area were experiencing anomalies as well. Mm. Um, you know, when you're talking about that room and that son, I keep getting the name Luke. Did you know that kid's name? Man, you just got hairs rising up on my skin here. I think I don't remember all the names there, but I I think I've heard that name before in relationship to this property because um, uh We've had other psychics out there, including William Becker. Um, and I don't remember the names that William said when he was out okay. there, but I'll have to refer back to the book to see what the names are. 
Okay. Yeah. I keep feel like I'm getting the name Luke or Lucas. So okay. yeah, I will, I will let you know. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, I want to do uh, another clip here because this one is um, interesting on the EVP end of things. So the other one we played, you know, I sound like a child or, or even female. Um, these ones, you know, you described as more complex EVPs and, and they are. Um, can you give us a little context before we play this, uh, how, where things were set up, when, when were the recordings taken? Yeah. So, uh, Daryl would, uh, generally record, uh, around nine o'clock at night, go to bed, leave the uh, parabolic pointed out towards the forest, uh, in this abandoned apple orchard while I would record in one of two places by my Jeep or the trailer or inside this garage, I guess, three different places, the shop. Uh-huh. And so um, this is a recording from my tape recorder, little Tascam DR05 stereo nice. recorder. And uh, so this was recorded in this shop one evening. Clip eight. <laughs> Right. Wow. <laughs> so there's one in there that sounds almost like a, a howl, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, <laughs> um, you know, that, that to me, you know, it sounds animal like or something else. Uh, but the other ones seem like human type voices. And one of them in there, it, it makes me think of the movie Waterboy with Adam Sandler and the, the football coach, the Disky Otto, you know, the guy who speaks real strong Cajun. Right, <laughs> you right. can't understand him. Yeah. It kind of it kind of sounds like somebody like, you know, that paid the dad the Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what's your what's your take on those? Well, the moan how thing, uh, these are three different clips, I believe. Uh the last two, I believe, are in the shop, but the how moan we caught on video. It's uh, one of the cool moments that we had where we were approaching this through the layers as Henry Franzoni is talking about. Cause one of the theories is here is that the more you record in these layers, the more opportunities you can find out where these things are coming in and out from like a broadcast station. So you don't only record, but you record a video of your recording and then you listen to the video and watch the video of the recording for things you can hear and see. So the more layers as in, the, in this layer cake, the more opportunities you have to catch this stuff. Um, and so I was recording a little tiny speaker with a line out going into the shop where the recorder is, a, like a 30 or 40 foot line. And we okay. would close the door and we'd take the little um, stereo uh, and listen to it. And I had the iPhone pointed at that. And as I'm rolling footage, on this little tiny stereo, um, I don't hear anything. But what I catch on my iPhone is that howl moan. So I didn't hear that happen. That's the really interesting part about it is that, you know, my device caught that. It's an EVP. And it sounds like a Sasquatch, a typical Sasquatch moan. And it has this click pop or hit sound at the very end of it, which you know, if I can stress anything enough is 
don't listen to me about any of this. Go find out for yourself that this stuff is real and validate it with these small little hits and pop sounds because they're your bread and butter that the supernatural is approaching you. And if we're going to call it a supernatural sonic wave breaking, whatever, but it's something coming through the veil, generally to an audio device and kind of popping in to see what you're all about and what your intent and motive is. Yeah. And I'd be interested to um, hear from other paranormal uh, ghost investigators if they've got, you know, audio clips of audio evidence with that sort of same thing as well, because the one that I got, I, I mean, it was really strange. And I, the only thing I could think of was like, Jesus, something trying to break through and then it breaks through. And then there's an EVP right after that. Um, very interesting. And it seemed like a lot of talking going on in some of those <laughs> just <laughs> that's great great stuff yeah that's crazy. Um, yeah now um is is the experiment still going on <laughs> or are you done with it or where are you at with it well um you know so that property sold uh to a couple of science fiction buffs which is pretty interesting i think mm-hmm. and the farmhouse next door sold to some paranormal researchers So (laughs) I think that this uh, property has a way of calling certain people to its attention. That's my personal belief. Mm -hmm. It gets its way and it kind of puts its little feelers, its radar out there and people come. Maybe they've been there before. I kind of wonder that myself. Um, You know, the experiment, you know, culminated with me having a semi sighting. Uh, I feel as though I saw the feet of a Sasquatch, an individual near the you know last few days there that I actually lived there. And it was a four in the morning. It was no moon. And I saw these little, well, not little, but they were <laughs> off colored, light colored feet coming on the other side of my Jeep. And um, I heard the gravel crunch and I, uh, I, wanted to get a better view and the thing ran off through the gravel without making a sound and screamed kind of like a T-Rex uh, mixed with a bird and something <laughs> responded to it on the hillside in the back. So that was as close as I got to an actual sighting. I don't know what uh, you know I saw, but um, I guess if you're going to see Bigfoot, you might as well see it's big feet. Yeah. It's the best part, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's awesome. And, and I like that you, you know, you're, you're still, you're chasing the, the, you know, the experience. And um, even though you haven't had, you know, like a good sighting, um, I, I commend you for not, not giving up and, and sticking with it. And, you know, cause one day it'll, it'll happen. Right. Yeah. We hope <laughs> that's all, that's all, you know, that's what uh, in, you know, spirit research and stuff. It, it, we all want that, that experience. And we all, uh, you know, sit through hours of talking to yourself in the dark for those few moments that right. two per 2% of investigating that you <laughs> right. say, Holy crap. Yeah. I want more of that. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. Um, so real quick, cause we're getting to the end here. What are, if someone wanted to go out um, 
and and try and do you know try and find Bigfoot or have mm-hmm. an experience. What are what are three things essential things that they should have with them when they go to do that? Man, um, you know I would definitely take a look at uh, some of the writings of people I've mentioned on this broadcast. I go back and listen to the authors I talked about. They're the ones that okay. influenced me. And then set your intent that um, going out there to learn about something that's a mystery. Maybe that's enough. Bring a drum. Uh, they seem to dig that. Uh, if you're inclined to bring a gift of some kind uh, and you have a place that you can close off to study it where other people don't go, uh, you can begin that process. And, uh, you know, if you love nature, that's already a, a benefit for you. I think mm-hmm. that's a big plus, but yeah. not necessarily having to be. But, yeah, those are the big ones. Yeah. And the and the dad me says, make sure you have a first aid kit, too. Mm, there you, go. <laughs> you, you never right. know. You never know. Uh, Toby, this has been fascinating. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and share some of your experiences and some of these wild audio clips that you've got. Um, so, you know, we'll look to look for the documentary to come out. And that was Flash of Beauty. Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, and then my own documentary will be uh, available uh, around the same time. Uh, that would be the Al Moon, the par- Shared Paranormal Experiment. Yeah, so keep your eyes out there for that, uh, people. Check out strangebrowradio.com. And I really appreciate you sharing all this stuff tonight. And I know that, you know, it's always welcome to go off, uh, you know, go to the bonkers areas in this show. So um, I always appreciate that when we can go, you know, off to bonkers land. So (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you doing that. And um, we're here on Let's Talk Radio on the Paranormal Pete show. And just many thanks to Toby Johnson. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, I've got some great guests coming up next month. Got June Nixon and Ross Allison, uh, both very well experienced, um, paranormal investigators and researchers, and they've traveled all over the place. So I'm really looking forward to having them on in May and I'll be announcing some other guests as well. Um, but just want to thank everybody for listening out there make sure you check out the other shows on the station, WLTKDB.com. And I leave every show with my toast of the past is history and the future is a mystery. Why? Because today's a gift because it's the present. Don't forget to be in the present. Take a moment of that every day. Hug the ones you're with and hug everyone else virtually right now. And we'll see you next week on the Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Pete Orbea. We'll see you next week for episode 20, uh, May, Tuesday, May 4th, 8 p.m. Pacific time. Take care, everybody. Tell the witches.